Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mind War podcast. Uh, this is your co-host, MP Stradom speaking, Jean Roux, often with me, and, and, and often he does a few shows on his own as well. The Mind War podcast is uh, there for people who are interested in getting their minds warped <laughs> a little bit as we look at the things that are happening at speed in the world around us, specifically the world of technology. And of course, we're also interested in mining and, and the heavy industries, Industry 4.0. Those are things and topics that, uh, that are close to uh, our hearts. And so we get speakers from around the world to contribute and to give their opinions on, on where they see the world is going and, uh, and what's new and what's hot. Um, so for us, it's always uh, you know, a great privilege to have people listen to what we are saying and listen to our ramblings. So thank you very much for, I guess I shouldn't say tuning in, but you know all the radio terms are still stuck in my head. So uh, whatever you do with a podcast, uh, calling it up or, or looking it up or whatever, thanks for finding Mind Warp, and we hope that you enjoy it uh, with us. Today, uh, we've got a guest all the way from Perth in Australia. Um, he's no stranger uh, to many of you, I'm sure. Uh, someone who is uh, fairly well established in the, in the global mining industry and, and has been around uh, the world. Paul Lucy is currently with Project 412. And um, Paul, I'm, I'm going to introduce you or ask you to introduce yourself uh, rather. Maybe just quickly tell us a little bit about who you are and your background. Uh, you're a mining engineer, right? Um, so my background is, is in the resource um, sector, engineering, proper engineering, not um, not mine engineering. So oh, um, you're up for anything, mate. <laughs> so um, uh, and and mainly uh, process control and electrical in, in that respect. So uh, yeah, I've been in the resource sector nearly all my professional life. Um, uh, and also a bit of a, a mining technolo technology uh, tragic um, uh, and always chasing mining technology. I did try and leave there for a, for a while. I, I went to the US and did some tech startups. I came back to Australia in 2017 uh, and I didn't want to do uh, consulting and I wasn't quite ready to go back in, into mining. So I established the company I have now Project 412, and that was just to do technology projects um, at a grand scale, projects that kind of move the dial at, at a fairly high level. Um, and uh, I quickly found out that uh, mining is much easier than dealing with governments when you start doing large scale technology projects. But um, yeah, and uh, it's also very difficult to let go of your mining roots. It always pulls you back. So I'm always doing something in mining um, uh, and particularly around innovation and technology. So if you think of mining and, 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 and the words innovation and technology, um, not many people connect those as a first thought. Certainly technology maybe in the sense of, of uh, industrial t uh, types of technology, um, the mining industry is no stranger to. But uh, if you listen to people you know, from the inside, we're continuously told that mining lags and other industries when it comes to the adoption of technology etc etc yet you know everywhere i go i speak to people who uh, in the who are from the mining industry or maybe related natural resources kind of industries and um, there's no lack of of uh, desire to adopt and implement new and transformative kinds of technologies so so what's your opinion is mining really behind 
Um, I mean, so the answer to that is pretty cryptic because it's yes and no. And uh, it sounds like you're consulting. It, it does, yes. But uh, the thing is that um, mining has done a number of firsts over the years. I mean, it, it was the first to do uh, modeling in 3D on computers, it was the first to do autonomous equipment. Um, but it takes very long time for these things to become mainstream in the industry. Um, and I think that's that's the confusion is that the, the lead time for mining can be up to 15 years, but by the time a technology is developed, whereas if it's in the automotive sector, it could be five years. Um, and I think that's because in mining, we, we don't have a lot of consumer pressure, but also we put a lot of risk into uh, things like exploration, uh, mining in itself is a risky business. Um, so you want to try and de-risk some of the other parts of the business and technology often gets hit on the head um, with, with, with that one. So we're both extremely well advanced in terms of the things that, that we try in mining, um, but we're quite slow to do whole scale uptake if that kind of answers the question. It's interesting that in many industries, it is the small companies that are kind of leading the pack when it comes to, to transformational technology, because they've got to find some kind of, uh, of technology that enables them to compete with bigger players who, who maybe have the market share already, et cetera, et cetera. But in mining, it seems that it just costs so much to get into the game and to start a mine and to operate a mine. And you are so um, at the mercy often of, of where markets and commodity prices and and the cycles in the markets go that that the small innovative companies have a hard time to kind of get going. So what's your feeling on that? Do you, do you think it's going to be smaller or mid-tier companies that will take the the future of mining or make that reality? Or is it going to be the big companies that can invest a lot? Mining is a very heterogeneous um, environment, uh, you know, which means if you look at the top 15 commodities, um, three quarters of, of all revenue comes from uh, iron ore, coal, uh, gold, and copper. Uh, and the top 1% of companies control 20% of, of the entire revenue from mining, uh, which means that they are the big spenders and they're the ones who are going to push the technology um, in terms of economics of scale. So that's what you see. Uh, and if you compare that to the automotive industry, which is very a homogeneous market, um, you don't have, a, a, you know, there are big players, but you don't have two or three car makers that control most of the market. Um, yeah. And the consumers drive different kinds of, of things in, in, in the market. Whereas, you know, in, in mining, we're digging stuff up um, and the end customer usually doesn't care um, how you dig it up. And they usually care about the, the market price that they pay for it. Um, uh, and that does affect uh, some of the way that we, we do adopt technology. Uh, and you're right, it is the big players who can afford to do some of the the more technologically challenging components of mining, you know, the first to adopt um, autonomous equipment, um, you know, the first to do some of the, the 3D software components, they were the first to dip their toes in the water in terms of uh, digital twins and big data. Um, but it is a lot of the small players who, who provide the finesse and make it work more effectively. Um, so the, there is kind of a, a synergy and a bit of a pull and push in the market. But, um, you know, it, for mining, it kind of works. Yeah, I, I, re I recall a few years ago, well, let's call it 15, maybe there, 20 years ago even, you know, we used to develop 
software for mines. And very often we'd be asked by a mining company to do something for them that was custom, a piece of custom software just for uh, for that mine. And then they they want to write into the uh, into the contract that this is their piece of software. No one else gets to use it. Uh, or if someone else does, then they want kind of a first mover advantage on this new thought <laughs> that they've thought out. And and we can only distribute it or, or possibly resell it in two years' time or three years' time from now. And and it created this highly competitive and pockety kind of pockets of excellence feeling between mining companies. And and even inside of mining companies, you'd have some shafts that are the high-tech shafts where we test new technologies and others that are maybe the the old old ones that, that have only a year or two of life left, which, by the way, 15 years later, always seem to still exist just in somebody else's hands. <laughs> so my question, I guess, is in the world of new adoptions and, and, and laggards and so on, is it really going to be specific uh, solutions that take the mining industry to the next step or should mines uh, start thinking ecosystem should they also start uh, collaborating with other mines and do you see this happening so i think you summed up mining pretty well i think you're dead right i mean i've been a party to to both some of writing some of those contracts and being on the receiving end of some of those contracts uh, around ip but the good news there is that I think you know uh, you see less and less of that in in, in the industry uh, today. As GE famously found out when it brought digital twinning into the resource sector um, after doing a very good job in in the airline industry, is that mining is dynamic and it's so very different to every single mine site that you go to. Uh, and so that's a lot of where the customization came from is that, that there is not one size that, that fits all, which leads to a whole series of, of um, uh, little adjustments that you want to make for every site that you go to. So it's very difficult to find a product that, that fits all. There, there was some talk about five years ago, I, I remember that uh, mining companies should take more of an approach that the oil and gas industry does, uh, where uh, you have a number of key players um, and whilst they own the, the asset overall, it's then put together by a series of uh, contractors. So the Halliburts of the world and the Schlumbergers, if you like. Uh, and then the asset is, a, is owned by several of the big players, not necessarily one. Uh, and so there was talk that maybe mining go, might go the same way. So, you know, we've, we've seen some of this with uh, BHP and Vale. But the idea is that in the future, you know, the, the BHP and Vale and Rio Tinto will own parts of something a bit like you do in, in the oil and gas industry. It seems to have moved away from that now. Uh, it may go back there. Uh, and as we go deeper and all bodies become more complicated, that question may come up again. Um, so it is it is a possibility. It's definitely one of the, the possible futures that we could look at. When that happens, then you'll see technology development will, will move away from the operators uh, and then go to the big contractors. Right. Okay, well, that's an interesting thing because the contractors, of course, they've got a, a real incentive driven by the desire for efficiency. Typically, a contractor is paid by ton or, or um, you know, uh, and internally, how they get there very often is their baby. And uh, and so they have a real incentive to reduce the dollars per ton through the adoption of all kinds of, uh, of new technologies. We also see the, uh, you know, as the 
rest of the world moves to a software as a service kind of, or I should say, and as a service kind of economy, um, that the mining industry is also starting to think along uh, what kinds of things can we sell to the market as a service or adopt from the market as a service. You know, it, it's, uh, it's said more and more these days that people don't want to buy a drill anymore. They just want to have a hole in the wall. And it's the same with, with mines. You've written a lot of uh, articles recently about rock hailing and the uberization of, of uh, fleet management, etc. What do you what do you see in the future there? Uh, and, 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 and never mind the future. Do you see companies actually really thinking about that? Slowly, I, I think they are. I think as um, and, I, and I think that the catalyst for that has been um, data science becoming mainstream in, in mining. You know, we, we often talk about big data, but no one ever knew what to do with it. But um, uh, the data science has shown us that there's new ways to do things, which is questioned some of the measurements that we have, like tons per kilometer, um, which is a very common measurement in, in mining. And you, you only need to look at what happened to the taxi industry. And so the taxi industry was very, very similar to what we do in mining today in terms of they had a, a bank of taxis waiting to pick up passengers to take them to a different spot. Um, and ride hailing come along and pretty well turn it on, on its head uh, in terms of productivity. Um, and the same could happen in the future in, in mining by looking at what we do with the rock and how we move it. And that's simply by putting a different value on the rock that we move at any given time. And that completely changes the way that you, you operate the mine. Um, but for you to do that, you, you need to understand the data a lot better and that data revolution needs to happen. Now that is happening. Um, so sometime in the future, I would think that the metrics are going to change. We're going to move away from some of the metrics we've been using for 50 years. Um, it's very difficult to quantify what that would look like. I mean, the, the rock hailing um, article that I, that I put out was a suggestion based on what Uber did and how yeah. it could possibly work in mining and, and what a, a future metric could look like if you applied that to data. That becomes very dynamic. Um, you start to have closed loops in, in your pit or underground for that to occur. Um, it, it's an exciting time. Um, I, I, I want to challenge you, if I may. All right, let's test the thoroughness of your thought here. <laughs> um, if you want to hail a taxi, that's fairly simple in the sense that it is a question of spatial proximity and a question of availability of vehicles and a question of preference of the person that wants the service. But when you're talking about an underground mine, for example, you know, there are so many other complexities, firstly with regards to Let's just think of, of grade control. It is not about only, you know, getting someone from, uh, you know, getting rock from point, point A to B, but there is a real uh, a preference of what the market wants and what the plant wants. And then there's rock stability, you know, and, and you'd better mine in the right place or you're going to collapse the whole uh, place around you. And there are, you know, mining method constraints and a variety of other uh, things that play into this. So I think the the complete data environment that, that has to exist and the concurrency rather of data is going to be an inhibitor in the in a world where where mining disciplines work with fragmented and disconnected systems. Yeah, you're right. The systems we have today um, aren't going to handle the data science of tomorrow, that's for sure. 
Uh, and the underground is the hardest one. It's easy to, to, to plot this out in, a, in an open pit environment where you can pull from different parts of the pit and so forth. But in, in an underground environment, um, geotechnical is king and grade is his poor cousin. You know, you're going to operate an underground mine based on the geotechnical performance of the mine. You know, you have to do this stoke before you do that stoke, otherwise your mine collapses around you. Um, but some of the thinking around that is uh, you don't necessarily need to, to truck that ore to the surface at that particular point in time. Um, if you had an extra loader, you would put it somewhere else um, and you would preference uh, uh, ore that is more suitable from a grade perspective or a blend perspective to, to the mill. That requires a whole different level of sophistication in terms of, of your planning. And once you have it in place, then you know, you're know you producing as much as what you would normally produce, you're just mining in a different way. Um, so it, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like having big stockpiles underground. Now, the good thing about an underground environment is that um, we're always digging holes, so you have plenty of opportunity to stash all away before you take it to the surface. Um, and these are just some of the thoughts that you could do to smooth out your mining cycle uh, in, in going forward. Um, there's, there's no reason why you can't have a stockpile, uh, you can't stockpile it underground versus the surface. At some point you do have to move it, but you don't have to move it today. Mm. I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, autonomous vehicles, autonomous uh, uh, hauling, um, even autonomous drilling, uh, etc. But I contend that in, that, that in the world of autonomous mining, it should be uh, about a lot more than um, than getting your you know a, an LHD to the right underground place or or, or a haulage truck to the right uh, loading point and tipping point. Um, it, automating the uh, the mining world really should be addressing, as you said, the geotechnical constraints the long-term strategy of that mine, the current uh, environment in, uh, with regards to market preference. Um, I mean, in, in oil and gas, we've got, the, uh, you know, they've got the ability to throttle um, production to influence price, whereas mine, miners are price takers, not price makers. And, 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 and those things become uh, problematic. Um, the world that we're living now, there's got to be some maturity inside of the mining industry to adopt big picture thinking and understand that uh, yes i can automate a machine but but that's really just going to do a job quicker i what i want to know is which job is the best to do now and next in order to reach the short medium and long-term goals of the company and 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 for that big data and understanding that data and contextualizing the data through through big platforms seems to be a um, a trend that's emerging. Uh, are you seeing this or are, or are you seeing the world of apps ruling? Yeah, so look, mining's a, a pretty dynamic place to, to be. And the, the strange thing about mining is is we, we kind of treat it like manufacturing. We say we're going to produce X amount of tons per month or X amount of ounces per month, when the reality is that makes no sense whatsoever. Mining is dynamic. Um, and you're actually throwing away money by having a, a flat profile. Uh, and we do the same with our equipment. We will buy the same drill, we'll, we'll buy the same trucks instead of having a mixed fleet. Now, probably a mixed fleet of trucks, maybe one for all, maybe one for ways, depending on, on, on what you're mining, makes better sense than a, a single standard fleet. 
but we just don't have that level of sophistication because the, the data is missing. Now, they, that'll come through data science um, and not necessarily things like apps or anything like that. So it's it's a it's a big uh, science experiment, if you like, uh, to crack mining to make it an all integrated um, approach. And in the future, I, th I think you know process control in, in a in a pit or an underground environment is possible, and we're getting closer to that. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of the tools haven't even been invented. In fact, we don't even know how to invent them yet. You know, that's probably five years away. Well, uh, so so if you look into you know you, you just said five years away. If you look into three or five years going forward, um, what may be the one or two things that you think? Is going to warp <laughs> where mining is going. Uh, what what are the biggest disruptors or biggest opportunities that you're seeing uh, uh, right now? Uh, so the big three. One is one is certainly the data science. I mean, that's going to to change what we know about the ore body uh, much 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 quicker. Um, electrification. Uh, so renewables and electrification go hand in hand. Yeah. So now that renewables are competitive with um, all other forms of uh, energy and getting cheaper uh, and you can put renewables uh, remotely um, and get the same cost benefit that'll drive electrification uh, in, in mining and with electrification comes new styles of machine and stuff like that so that's really going to um, really challenge the, the status quo in that respect um, and the last one is the uh, license to operate um, the sustainability angle yeah. mining can't find people now and people don't want to go into mining. So mining needs to change its perception in terms of what it, what it does. Um, we need to handle some of the legacy issues that we have. There's a, a, an accountability at, at that level. So that will change a lot of the behaviors and things that we do in that space. So they're, they're my big three, if you like. All right. Uh, one that you didn't mention, um, that's maybe not in the three to five year horizon, but that, that we read about a lot these days, uh, is asteroid mining and space resources. Uh, I heard an interesting quote from, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson who said he doesn't think asteroid mining or space mining is going to happen. He says because by the time we've developed the kinds of technologies we will need to harvest resources from space, we can spend uh, half that much to learn how to uh, better harvest and, and, and maintain the resources on Earth. We'd be much better off doing that. What's your opinion? Do you think we're going to be uh, wearing space helmets instead of doing underground ventilation soon? It's it's hard to see that we'd be mining in space to bring minerals back to Earth. That's a, that's a difficult concept for, for me to get my head around. Um, I think space mining is more about getting raw materials to build stuff in space for use in space. So why would you build a satellite on Earth when you can build a satellite in space? So if you think of space factories, rather than transport stuff up, you build a factory up there and you build the stuff there. So from a launching perspective, it's cheap as chips then to build a satellite. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's where space mining comes in, which means that you don't need a great deal of it, but once you're up there, um, it's easy to get. You know, asteroids are pretty well full of raw material, don't need much processing. So that's my kind of thinking. Okay, awesome. Speaking of, uh, you know, sublime and ridiculous, uh, you know, we always ask our, uh, our contributors um, on our podcast what they are reading. So, so as we close this podcasting, we want to know a little bit more about 
you know, what you do in your free time. Uh, what are you, what's on your bedside table? What are you reading at the moment? Um, unfortunately, it's pretty boring because I'm in the middle of a big project um, doing some <laughs> silly hours, uh, which means I'm reading reports on urban robotics, future of mobility, uh, those kind of things, which is pretty dry material for, for reading late at night, I can assure you. Otherwise, I'd be normally reading sci-fi is probably my go-to in, in, in when I'm not reading um, non-fiction stuff. And so anything from uh, John Birmingham or Peter Hamilton, um, I find interesting. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Uh, enjoyed your insights and so on. And, and uh, if people want to find you online, where do they find you? Uh, well, I have a website, Project 412, but um, most of the, the stuff I do uh, these days is, is on LinkedIn. I try and get about four or five articles out a week, um, and that's probably where my interesting stuff is. Okay, fantastic. Paul, thank you so much for, for sharing your perspectives. Uh, we enjoyed it, and um, all the best with mining in Australia. Mining is also in an interesting time. If I look at the impact of COVID, etc., uh, all round. So from our side to you, all the best and thank you so much for your contribution. Excellent. Thank you.